Good morning, and welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Thank you so much for being with us on this rainy, icy Sunday morning. Whether you're joining us online or here in our auditorium, thank you for taking time to be with us today. A couple of quick announcements before we begin. Uh, on Wednesday night, we do have Pastor Gary's service time that meets at 6.30. The kids, three-year-olds through fifth grade, meet for Kids for Truth at 6.30. The teens meet at 6 p.m. All of that takes place on Wednesday night. Uh, the contribution statements from 2021 have been emailed to you. Uh, if we do not have your current email on file, then they were sent through the regular mail. Uh, if you didn't receive your statement or if you would prefer a paper copy, please see Margaret in the office and we will get that to you. Also, we do have a ladies conference that our ladies are going to be encouraged to attend. Uh, it is being held in Myrtle Beach uh, and it is the Women of Joy Conference. And that is April 29th through May 1st. Uh, there'll be some posters up and around. And again, if you have any questions on that, you can talk to Leanne Weckel, and she will give you all the information that you need for that. We would like to restock our blessing bags that go on our back table. So if you could bring in some non-perishable food items for those, uh, crackers, uh, bags of, of uh, goodies, uh, granola bars, things like that to go into our blessing bags, uh, that would be super. Uh, we were supposed to have our vision Sunday today. Uh, that is being postponed until next week due to the weather and the uptick in cases. Uh, so we will be voting on our deacons next week. And Pastor will tell us more about that in just a moment. Again, we have the offering boxes in the back. Uh, thank you for those who've continued to give. And we do pray that uh, it continues to be a blessing to you as you are to us as you continue to give. At this point, we'll turn it over to Pastor Jay for a few announcements before we begin our service. Welcome you and thank you for braving the uh, weather this morning and joining us here at Grace Baptist Church today. I hope you're doing well uh, this morning and again we certainly want to thank you for being here. This is, as Pastor Brian just mentioned, this was scheduled to be our Vision Sunday and uh, if you're new to Grace and that's an unfamiliar term with you, it's basically uh, every year in January we are by our constitution required to hold one annual meeting at the beginning of each year. And that typically is supposed to happen in January. And so typically it's about the third week um, of January each year. However, God had unique plans for us, and that did not seem wise this morning. We did not want people risking coming out if it was unsafe or driving on roads that potentially could be um, hazardous. And so we did postpone that to next week. And so that will happen um, next Sunday, which is January the 23rd. In light of that, we will have a combined connect group. All the connect groups that meet on campus at 9.30, they will be here in this room. We'll meet together. And uh, during the 9.30 time, there will be a financial update on the ministry. And then also we'll be voting on deacons. And uh, if you did not pick up a list of those names, they should be still on the back table for you and be praying about uh, the men that you would be voting in. We'll be voting for six of those that, was not, that were nominated. And so please uh, take note of that. If you have questions about that list or you want a copy of the list and you can't find it, please email me or call the church office. We can get that to you. But then also during the Sunday school time, there'll be uh, an update on Wilmington Christian Academy. We'll give you an update on where the academy is these days and what's going on in the school. And then in the service, we also will be giving you some different ministry updates of what is going on. And I won't go into all the weeds of that, but that will be next Sunday. And also just be thinking about this and be planning for this. And once we have our new deacons voted in, we'll announce who is going to meet on what Sunday. 
but typically pre-COVID um, in February, we used to do an entire church-wide lunch here on campus, and the idea was that you would be able to uh, meet your deacon and sit with the deacon and uh, get to know him a little bit more specifically. Well, we are going to do that in February, but we are planning to break down the care groups into about three care groups at a time, and so that will happen throughout the entire month of February, and so we will be getting out to you whose care group you are in and what date um, your care group will be having that meal here on campus. Again, church provided, you don't need to pay for it or anything like that. Um, it's just a way for us to get to know each other a little bit better and uh, for you in particular to get to meet and, and uh, see your deacon and so you can build a relationship with him should you not already know who, um, who he is. So we are going to go ahead and pray. And uh, we were joking this morning, this is Grace Unplugged today. We are down a little bit and uh, some of our musicians and others could not be here this morning for various and sundry reasons. And so, but that's okay, right? We can still worship the Lord. Even if we were outside in the rain, we could still worship together. And so we're going to do that today. And then Scott will lead us in some singing after we pray. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for this opportunity to come together and to worship. And Lord, we thank you for our church family and for the opportunity that you have given to us this morning to congregate as you have called us to do in the New Testament, that uh, from the very early stages of, of the church, that the, the body of Christ met together for the purpose of worship and the purpose of encouraging one another. And God, I pray that even uh, this morning, while the weather is, is poor outside and we know that for various reasons, people are not able to be here in the auditorium today. I know there are many at home this morning watching online. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that we have opportunity to study scripture this morning and to sing praises to your name. And that this would be a profitable time for us today, that we would learn more about the gospel and more particularly learn how to live it and learn and see the power of the gospel. And just bless our service this morning as we sing and as we uh, look into your word here in a few moments, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Scott. Good morning. Let's stand together as we sing, It Is Well With My Soul. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. 
seated. What love could remember, no wrongs we have done. Sufficient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many mercy is more what patience would wait as we constantly roam what father so tender is calling us home he welcomes the weakest the vilest the poor our sins they are many his mercy
I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his home. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the one who sets me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave as no claim on Seal the promise, your buried body began to breathe out of the silence. The roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. The one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Oh God, you are my hope. Amen. Thank you, Scott, for leading us. Uh, that's one of my favorite one of the newer songs I really enjoy. I'm glad we're learning that here as a congregation. At this time, for the kids second grade up through fifth grade, we're going to dismiss you. You can follow Miss Amber, who just exited that way, and uh, they'll go off to their uh, junior church ministry. And again, that is second through fifth grade. Um, if you are a guest this morning, we want to thank you for braving the uh, elements outdoors today and being with us here at Grace this morning. And if this is your very first time here with us, I would invite you to take a moment and fill out our guest card. And it's actually printed on a piece of cardboard in front of you. It's a QR code. It looks just like the one that's on the screen behind me. 
And if you could be so kind to scan that with your smartphone, and then you can answer just a couple of questions about who you are, how we can contact you and get back with you. If you have any questions about our ministry, uh, we would love to be able to follow up with you and get to know you a little bit more. I won't go through the entire announcement again of Vision Sunday, but if you slipped in a little bit late, we did postpone our Vision Sunday until next Sunday, January the 23rd. And so please be back for that next week, and uh, we will uh, move forward with that in one week from today. You know, in, in our culture, in the United States of America anyway, we are consumed with bigger things. We like big houses. We like big SUVs. We like big burgers. And my favorite, big televisions. However, we have to be reminded of something this morning, that bigger is not synonymous with better. In fact, it is one of the topics of discussion, I think, in a lot of literature that is coming out in the church world and pastoral world, is that when it comes to a church, to a ministry, numerical growth does not always coincide with spiritual growth. Now, I think we would be a fool to think we want to be a faithful ministry that doesn't grow numerically. That doesn't seem to make sense. Of course, we want to be growing numerically, not for our own sake, but for the gospel's sake. Faithfulness to the ministry will, I would submit to you, produce fruit. Now, that fruitfulness may look like increasing spiritual maturity. That's true. That is fruit. It's a little harder to measure in some regards, but there will be fruit from a ministry of people becoming more and more increasingly like Christ. There's also an aspect to fruitfulness that if people are coming to Christ and they are uh, receiving the gospel, that there will be numerical growth. But let me say it again. Numerical growth does not 100% of the time coincide with spiritual growth. If we were, as we studied a couple of weeks ago, to look at the ministry of the prophet Isaiah from a numerical standpoint, we would put him in the category of an absolute outright failure. Because the longer Isaiah preached, the harder the hearts of those who listened became. I mean, quite frankly, if we were to, from a human terms, look at Christ's ministry in many respects, he drove off more than stayed with him. The longer he talked, oh, he drew a crowd when the food was free and everything was pleasant. But as soon as he started preaching about heaven and repentance and place called hell, wow, the crowd's thinned pretty quickly. So we have to understand that even for us as a New Testament church, Jesus did not call his people to use business ideology and creative ideas to create a massive ministry or an impressive organization. Instead, he called his people to do something far more important. Rather than worrying about impressing the crowd as if somehow we need validation from our world to validate that we're doing something right, Jesus called us to do something far greater. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, you're familiar with those verses, I'm sure. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, 
I am with you always to the end of the age. Our purpose statement of our ministry, Grace Baptist Church exists to make and mature disciples for the glory of God. That's our purpose. Well-run organizations, systems, and programs are not bad things. In fact, I would submit that in many regards, they are necessary, but they're not our ultimate goal of ministry. Having a numerically large ministry is not sinfully, is not sinful, it's not wrong, but it's not our ultimate goal in ministry. Our goal is to, one, make disciples, see people come to know Christ as their Savior, understand their sinfulness, understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes into the Father but by Him. That is one of our purposes, is to tell people the gospel. But as I said last week, the gospel isn't something we did in the past. It is something that applies to us in the present and in the future, and that is the process of making, not just making, but maturing disciples, seeing people increase in their knowledge of the gospel and in their application of the gospel. I was thinking this morning that the early church made, made disciples and they matured disciples. And get this, they did it without buildings. They did it without seminaries. They did it without sound systems. They did it without lights. They did it without screens. They did it life to life, person on person, sharing the gospel of Christ. Maturing disciples is what we want to talk about again today. We looked at it last week a little bit, but we want to talk a little bit more about it this morning and understanding that what we win people with is what we win people to. And so what are we supposed to do as a ministry? I've said this last week, but if you were not here, rather than being an attractional ministry, we want to be an adorational ministry. We want to be a church that simply says, here is God, praise Him and bask in His glory. Each week, my prayer is that we would not leave our time together saying what a great service, but saying what a marvelous Savior. That's worship. That's what the body of Christ is called to be. I would invite you, if you would, to find 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be looking at two different texts in the book of 1 Corinthians. We preached through this book a number of years ago now. It had been longer ago than I realized. We looked at this text many, many, many months ago, but we're going to look at it from a little bit of a different perspective this morning through this angle of discipleship. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, we're going to read that text together. We'll study it uh, a little bit, and then we will come to a different text in 1 Corinthians in the second part of the sermon this morning. But for now, begin reading with me, if you would, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in verse number 1. Notice what the Apostle Paul says to the church at Corinth. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? Verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
This is God's word for us this morning, and let's pray together, and then we will look into these verses more particularly. Let's pray. Father, we again thank you for the privilege of being here this morning and studying this text and learning what ministry is and how we are supposed to disciple and what we are called to do. And I pray, Lord, you'd bless our time together around your word, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we get into the text, I want you to think about a word with me today. The word is monotony. Monotony is defined as the wearisome uniformity or lack of variety as in occupation or scenery. Monotony. Have you noticed that much of life is monotonous? Recently, I don't know what got me down this train, but I was thinking through my daily routine of life. For me, 365 days a year looks pretty much the same. Somebody asked me this morning, we were talking about how it's funny how long-term memory works and short-term memory works. And somebody, we were talking about that oftentimes we lose our short-term memory before we lose our long-term memory. And the person said, well, I don't remember what I had for breakfast this morning. And I said, well, I do for one reason. I have the same thing every day. (laughs) Oatmeal with Faye yogurt, and I haven't had blueberries this morning. Earth-shattering. Every day. Monotony. It reminds me of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. You don't have to turn there. We're going to put it on the screen for you, and we'll get to the point of this in a moment. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, we find this, Solomon writing here in verse 2. We'll start there. He says, vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by the toil by which he toils under the sun? It's a good question. What are we doing? Why are we doing this? Why do we minister Why do we preach? Why do we talk about the gospel again and again and again and again? Verse 4, generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around it goes the wind, and and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Do you get what he's saying? Like we're always having something new to see, something new to hear. Verse 9, what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Verse 10, is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? By the way, my definition of old is if the clothes hanging... Former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I read that text because as Solomon, or, yeah, Solomon opens his book of Ecclesiastes, he points to the monotony of just day-to-day life, of day-to-day living. And this day-to-day monotony as human beings 
if we're not careful, drives us to the place that we want something new. We want something different. We want something shiny and appealing and flashy and witty and clever and polished and eloquent and engaging and don't forget, supersized. We got to have something new. Tell us something exciting. To me, the attraction of an attractional ministry is caught on this merry-go-round of trying to find something new, something flashy, something witty. I don't, I don't have the guts to very often share dreams that I have, probably any more than you are, certainly not in a public setting, especially not one online. But I'm going to do that today. I had a dream last night. I've been thinking, apparently I've been thinking about this whole thing way too much. I had a dream last night that began, began like this. It was an auditorium bigger than this one, filled with people. And what was interesting was I couldn't hear anything. I could just see faces, it, like vividly. By the way, let me say this, I don't believe God speaks to us through dreams anymore. Okay, I don't believe this was a revelation from God. It's just a dream. But on every one of these faces, they were, they were engaged. They were having the time of their life. And it was clearly, by the way, a church service. It was clearly in a church building. And as my dream began to fan, over time, it began to focus on the platform. And there I saw the pastor. And he was standing behind a pulpit, much like this one, interestingly, in a coat and tie. And he was playing ping pong with the person in the front row. So I decided that we might be a smaller crew tonight, so maybe... If anybody wants to go, I'll get your attention with my lack of ping pong. This is a really big racket. I might have a chance with this. And he was like, man, just going all over the place and behind the back. And the guy in front of him was cheering him, or the guy in front of him was hitting it back. And man, the whole crowd was cheering. Wow, this is great. Except it isn't. Paul says to the Corinthians, I came with nothing to you except Christ and Christ crucified. That was my message. It wasn't to impress you. It wasn't to wow you. It wasn't to be shiny and flashy and new and incredibly eloquent. It was to tell you that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's it. And so as we think about ministry and we think about discipleship and we think about what we are to do as a church, we must keep Scripture the main focus of our ministry. It's the main focus of our services. It's the main focus of our discipleship. Paul said this, you don't have to turn there either, but it's in the first part of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where he said, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. Notice, being saved. We have been saved in punctiliar, in a point of time, but we are in this process of being saved, this process of spiritual maturity. To those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For Jews, verse 22, demand signs. Sounds a lot like our culture. We need a sign, a new vision. Again, I want to be clear. I believe revelation is completed in Scripture. I don't believe that dreams are inspired. My dream wasn't inspired. It's just I've been reading too much about discipleship, I guess. But for the Jews, they demand a sign. And Greeks, well, they desire wisdom. And Paul said, but we preach Christ crucified. 
a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Verse 25, he says, For foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So from chapter 2 and chapter 3 in a few moments, I want to look at two intentional practices that we see in the Apostle Paul that are necessary for effective ministry. How do we do this? If it's not with bells and whistles and a dog and pony show, how do we do this? Well, number one, we consistently rest in God's power. Paul says in verse 1 of the chapter we read just a few moments ago that he came, his speech was with wisdom from on high. It was a demonstration of the Spirit and of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men. But notice the last couple of words, but in the power of God. When ministry becomes about who is... Paul is correcting all of that. But there was another aspect that is very important for us to understand why Paul says what he says in chapter 2 is because in their time, in the Greco-Roman world, those teachers who excelled in oratory abilities and philosophy, they were considered celebrities. You might say it this way, if we were to put it in our own current modern vernacular. The Greco-Roman world, those that were gifted in oratory skills, they were equal to today's social media influencers. They were the bloggers. They were the talk show hosts. They were the athletes. My athleticism gives you the right to have an opinion about morality is beyond me. They were the movie stars of the day. In other words, these were the impressive people. They were the ones that people wanted to know. They wanted to be around them. And by the way, if you found a good teacher that not only did you like what he said, you liked how he said it, they paid good money so that you could be a disciple of that teacher. And they would follow them around. And so apparently when Paul came to Corinth, when he proclaimed the message of the gospel, apparently he wasn't 
impressive enough for the people at Corinth. I don't know, maybe he was a little too blunt. He was pretty blunt with the Galatians. He called them a bunch of fools. Maybe he was too prickly. I would guess this, he probably didn't tell enough stories and jokes to win the itching ears of mankind. And my guess is he didn't play ping pong with the guy who sat in the front row of his preaching services. You see, the most gifted speakers at the time of the Apostle Paul, they were the ones that people devoted themselves to. The Corinthian believers seemingly expected that Paul would exhibit the same polished and engaging and persuasive style that they were seeing in the world around them. I've been doing some reading. Another area that I've kind of been studying a little bit is is some of the Christian stars that we have, the ones that, you know them, they're, they're online and they are very polished and they're very together and they have a great, wonderful presentation. It's not sinful, bad, or wrong. However, when you start reading that one pastor owned more fantastic cameras in his own little arsenal of ability to make videos, he had more fancy cameras than NBC News had. So no wonder he looks polished. It took him 24 hours, 30 hours of work to produce a 45-minute video. I can't compete with that. Not that I'm trying, but that's the world in which we live. And it feels like Paul is being told by the Corinthian believers, you know, Paul, you need a better online presence. You're just not a very good speaker. Paul tells him, look, I didn't rely on my abilities. It wasn't about that. He says, I came to you, not proclaiming to you the testimony, or proclaiming to you rather the testimony of God. I didn't do so with lofty speech or with wisdom. Paul says, that wasn't about that for me. It wasn't about the one who was speaking. It was about the one who he was speaking about. And notice Paul's description, by the way. He tells them that how did he come with, to them? He said, well, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. When I was with you, I was in weakness. Now, he's not saying that he was unintellectual. He wasn't talking about the fact that he didn't use reason. He certainly did. It wasn't saying that he didn't try to persuade people to believe and to understand the gospel. Of course he did. But he was saying, in this term weakness, by the way, he was simply saying that he understood the message was not about him. It was a recognition of his own fragility. It was his own recognition of his humanity, that there wasn't anything innately special about the Apostle Paul. What was special about him was the message that he came to proclaim. Not only that, Paul came also in fear and trembling. I don't believe he was afraid to speak the message. I think what he is talking about there is he came with a sense of humility. He came with a sense of understanding that it was a task that he was called to do that he in and of himself was not capable of fulfilling. You see, our confidence rests in the power of the gospel message. And the subsequent working of the Holy Spirit toward the hearer. Paul preached in demonstration of the Spirit and of his power. So what did Paul preach to them? Did he take a poll and find out the felt needs of the congregation at Corinth and come with seven easy steps to defeat whatever they were trying to defeat? Did he come up with three easy steps to 
put anger out of your life or whatever. He didn't do any of that. He said, look, I came with one simple message, Christ and Christ crucified. Do we rely on ourselves or do we rely on the gospel? It's interesting that the idea of the crucified Messiah, I read this to you a few moments ago, to some was a stumbling block to the Jews, as I read. It comes from the Greek word from which we get our English word scandalous. They don't want to hear it. It was foolish to the Greeks. What kind of God kills his own son? What kind of God comes and dies on a cross? That sounds foolish. And yet the Apostle Paul says it is the resurrection, the crucifixion, the resurrection of God that changes lives. That is the message we proclaim. You know, I was thinking this morning, I participated in high school in a couple of public speaking competitions. And it's a funny story how that happened, not because I was itching. I always like speaking in front of people for whatever reason. I've never been bothered by that. I kind of thrive on it bizarrely, I guess. But I remember I was signing up for classes in high school. And a couple really cool kids in my high school, they were older than me. They asked me to sign up. You, just, you may not believe this, but a class on agriculture in the FFA. If you don't know what the FFA is, it's the Future Farmers of America. I was a lot of things and when I was a kid. A future farmer was not one of them. But I signed up to be cool. Who knew that was cool? I didn't. Except these couple of cool kids thought it was cool, so therefore it was cool. Well, I'm in this class. Didn't care about the class. Couldn't care less. It was an easy class. It was after gym Last period of the day, so I didn't have to change out of my sweaty gym clothes. I just went out to do agriculture, whatever that was. Didn't care. But I'm sitting in class, mostly asleep, and the teacher says, hey, there's a competition coming up, and one of them, I need somebody to do the speech. I'll do that. Are you kidding me? I get to stand in front of a group of people and talk? Yeah, sign me up. Absolutely. So I go to the state FFA meeting competition. Very, very informative. I finished second. It was pretty cool. It's pretty fantastic. The next year I did not do so well, but I finished second that year. You know, when you think about it, that's how our world thinks, right? It's a preaching competition. It's a speaking competition. Who's the better speaker? This is personal opinion, and, and uh, I would say this very carefully. It's not just meant to be condemned you know, it's dead in condemnation in any way, shape, or form. But I struggle personally with the idea of a preaching competition. What are we teaching people? This is a competition for you to win? Or is this simply an opportunity that God has given you some level of ability to share the gospel? It's not a competition. It's not about who wins and who loses. It's about using the voice that God has given to us in order to preach and to proclaim God's message. And for Paul, this was not Paul-focused. It was intentionally Christ-focused. 
Now, you may think I'm overreacting to the competition part of that statement, but that takes me to point number two this morning, and that is we have to lovingly confront spiritual immaturity in our discipleship. Not only do we rest in God's power, it's not in you, it's not in me to change lives. I can't do that. Only God can do that. But secondly, we lovingly confront spiritual immaturity. And if you look at 1 Corinthians 3, I'm going to read verses 1 through 9, and in the church of Corinth, it became a competition. Notice verse 1, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. Talk about bold. I can't even talk to you like you're spiritual. But as people of the flesh, you're, this, is, this doesn't fly in our culture. You're a carnal, selfish, sinful man. That's what Paul is basically saying. I can't even speak to you. You're, you're believers. You're in Christ. You've put your faith in Christ. But boy, you are not living that way. This is loving confrontation, loving rebuke. And Paul says, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ... I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not ready. You're a bunch of spiritually immature children in the faith. You're infants, he says to the Corinthians, even though you should know better. You don't. For you, verse 3, are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Well, what was the problem? Why would he say this? Verse 4, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? You see, stop there for a moment. There was this division within the body of Christ that people were lining up of behind their, let's put it in today's terms, behind their favorite pastor, behind their favorite speaker. Oh, I prefer Paul. I like how he speaks. He's not fancy. He's not eloquent. He just tells you about, he just tells you how it is. He tells you you're a bunch of sinful, immature people. I like that. Well, it also seems, wouldn't take a bullet for this, but it seems that Apollos was known for being more refined, more eloquent, a better public speaker. And some said, well, he's better. I like him better. And so now you have this division within the body that they are lining up some on team Paul and some on team Apollos. And that's why Paul tells them, you are acting like infants in the faith. You should be beyond this. You shouldn't be fighting over this kind of issue. And by the way, you may ask yourself, well, what grounds does Paul have to confront this division that is taking place in the church? Let me read a couple of examples for you. Psalm 133, verse 1, the psalmist said, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Proverbs 6 says this. By the way, let me just give you a brief nugget before I read these verses. There's, let me read verse 16 first. It says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. That is a Hebrew expression of how that is arranged. When he says six on this list, seven are an abomination, he is calling attention to the final one. It's a way that they would write and record something to emphasize the final expression. So listen to this list. 
Six things the Lord hates. Number seven is an abomination. Here's his list. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run evil, a false witness who breathe out, breathes out lies, and number one on the list, and one who sows discord among the brothers. So when Paul confronts the church at Corinth for their divisiveness and for their jealousy and for their cliquishness and for their selfishness and for their, for their, her- their apostasy and how they are approaching this, Paul has biblical grounds to confront this. Even Jesus said, every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste and a divided household falls. Now what is interesting is this. Paul never defends himself. Instead, Paul goes after the root of the problem. The root of the problem wasn't Paul. He didn't need to go take a preaching refreshing course. He didn't need to learn to be more refined. They needed to understand that there was a spiritual problem that was driving this division. And that's why Paul describes them with these very strong terms. They were people of the flesh. They were self-centered, self-indulgent, self-sufficient. They were infants. They were like 50-year-old children. They were still acting and behaving as if they were spiritually infants. And yet, Paul says, you should be on strong teaching now. You should have moved beyond that. And yet, he tells them, you're still walking like men. Now, Paul then describes himself and describes Apollos. So there is this division, verses 1 through um, 5 or so, 1 through 4 or so, and then he says this. He says in verse 5, he asks this question, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Now this struck me this time in this text. He doesn't say who is Apollos or who is Paul. That sounds a lot like our culture. Who are you? Find yourself. Who are you really? He doesn't ask that. He doesn't say, find yourself, find out who you are. He says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Here's his answer. Servants. I'm a servant. Servants through whom you believed. In other words, we were just the spokesmen. It wasn't our message that saved you. It wasn't our eloquence that saved you. We were just servants through whom you believed. I remember this as clear as day. I think I've told this story here before. I was baptizing an older lady one time in Vermont. And I was standing there, I had my arm around her, and I said, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? And she said, yes, I do. And I said, who saved you from your sin? And she looked at me and she said, you did, Pastor. Okay, sweet sentiment. It just happens to be theologically incorrect. I knew what she meant. I was with her when she prayed to receive Christ. I was just the spokesperson. And Paul says, look, I, I was nothing more than a servant to you. Yes, we were the ones through whom you heard the message But it's not about us. He says, as the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. 
So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. I love you, but you're nothing. I'm nothing. We're just servants. The power doesn't rest in you. The power rests in the Word of God. The power, as Paul says, but only God is the one who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. You see, both Paul and and, and Apollos understood that they were not interested in being a celebrity. I, I cringe. I hear it. I read it all the time in books, articles about our current modern day um, state of Christianity of our, and I, I hear this term, our celebrity preachers. Really? That's what we're about? He's a celebrity? Because why? Paul and Apollos had no interest in that. I'm, by the way, I'm not saying it's bad, horrible, sinful to have a huge influence over people. I'm not arguing that. But as one writer said, who worked for one of these celebrity preachers, said, yeah, he was warm and fuzzy and everybody loved him because they could watch him on the TV screen, but I worked for him in person and nobody liked him. So what, what matters more? So Paul and Paulus were not interested in that. They were simply servants. They were given an opportunity to serve God. They were given an opportunity to proclaim the message of the gospel. So in Christianity today, I ask a couple of questions for you. Don't worry about Christianity out there. Worry about Christianity for you. Are you primarily following men? Or are you primarily following a Savior? In Christianity today, are we faithfully fulfilling our role? Are we sowing? Are we watering? Are we preaching the truth? Are we giving people the gospel? Are we sharing the gospel? Are we telling people about Christ? Seems to me in Christianity today, too many people want cheerleaders who affirm them rather than a coach who corrects them. And we all play a role in ministry. It's not about your eloquence. It's not about your ability to parse words. It's about the power of God resting in you and resting in His Word, lovingly confronting sinfulness, lovingly encouraging one another, lovingly rebuking one another. I, I like trees. I don't like plants. I don't like gardening. I don't like any of that. But I like trees. I've planted four by my count in our backyard. One is a little taller than me. It's probably like eight feet tall. 20, 30 years from now, that tree is probably going to give a lot of shade to my backyard. The problem is I won't be there probably to see it. And sometimes we sow a seed and we walk away. We don't know what happens with that person. Sometimes we water that seed. And we walk away, and we may never know what happens to that person. 
But our job is to speak. Our job is to share. Our job is to tell. Our job is to water. And resting and trusting that it's God who will one day give the increase. Someone else may have the privilege of, in our vernacular, leading that person to Christ. Someone else may have the privilege of discipling that person. Someone else may have the privilege of ministering to them. That's not for you or me to decide. That is up to the Lord. Two of my favorite moments in ministry, I'll share with you briefly and I'm finished. One happened in Florida. There was a girl in my Bible class. I'll just be Pauline on you, I'll be blunt. She drove me bonkers. She was, she, if I said the sky is blue, she would argue with me. If I said the grass was green, she would argue with me. Just constantly debating, debating, debating. Literally everything that I said. Probably not literally, I probably just lied to you. Almost everything that I said is probably a better, better statement. I was out at a shopping center one day. This is shame on me moment, another one of those. I saw her, she had graduated from her school in Florida. I saw her coming out of the store. Jay's heart said, oh man, I hope she doesn't see me. That's really spiritual. You're a pastor. Yeah, well, I'm a sinful human being sometimes. And I thought to myself, I'm just going to keep walking. And I get, you know, our paths are going to cross. There's no, I could run the other way, I guess, but that would probably not be a good pastoral thing to do. And she's coming directly at me, and she looks at me. Pastor Jay, actually, they called me Peach down there. Peach, short for, pa- for Pastor Jay. They called me Peach. Peach, I am so glad to see you. Well, that was not how I thought the conversation would start. She said, I just want to thank you for something. I said, what? She said, I know I was a pain in the neck when I was in school. <laughs> yeah, you think you were. She said, you know why I challenge you all the time? I said, I have no idea. She said, because I knew you were right and I didn't want to admit it. She said, I knew I needed to change my life. I knew I was going down the wrong path. I knew that my sin, my sin was going to take me to very dark places if I didn't repent and get right with the Lord. She goes, I know that you never thought I was listening. Oh, I was listening. And no, I didn't like a word you said. But now that I am out of, my, out of Christian school and I am now at a, she was at a public university, she said, I see now what you were trying to tell me, what you were warning about me about. And she said, I just want to thank you for not backing down and for continuing to speak the truth. Shame on me for so many reasons. The second one, very brief, briefly, was similar. I was pastoring in Vermont. I'd lived there before. I taught at a community college. And I'm there this time on the, in the hospital for a hospital visit. And I'm walking down the hallway. And one of my former students is approaching me, who, by the way, I didn't have the same aversion to her. She was a sweet young lady. And she comes up to me and she says, you know what? You taking time I was led the college ministry there to take us skiing and just to minister with us and to spend time with us and you and your wife having us at your house. She goes, I know we never sat down in a formal Bible study or anything like that. She goes, I came to church with you and all that. She said, I just want to thank you. God used you to change my life. 
Now, is that because of me? Absolutely, categorically not. Just a servant through whom God can speak because of His Word, through whom God can change lives. But we have to do the same two practices that Paul did. Rely on the power of God. Not your wisdom, not your airtight arguments, not your debating skills. Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit changes lives, not you. And number two, loving people enough to tell them the truth. I often wonder what the apostles would say if we were to cry and complain about our culture and how hard we are oppressed today. I think they would say, really? You're afraid because you might get mocked or made fun of? We were beheaded if we just shared the gospel one time. Really? It's God's power, not yours. Speak and let God do what God will. So it's a message of the risen Savior that changes hearts and lives. It's our job to proclaim it and to preach it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the opportunity and privilege to share these thoughts today. I pray, God, that it would be a help to us and challenge to us. And may we never, never get to the place that we are relying on ourselves to do ministry. May we never rely on our own wisdom and ideas and try to help God out by adding information that you didn't give. God, may we just be what Paul said, servants through whom you can use for your glory. We will water, we will sow seeds, and pray, God, that you would be the one to give the increase. Bless now our closing song and our closing moments of today's service, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask Scott to come and lead us in a final song this morning. And so let's stand together and end together with a song. There's a modern hymn that goes along with the message, In Christ Alone. It's all about Christ it's all about him. Let's sing it together. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my, my strength, my song. This cornerstone with solid ground, firm through the faces drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears have still. Striving seed.